African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Well, good morning and welcome to yet another interactive installment of African Dialogue. It's great to be back right here on Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama and you are listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Thank you for joining us online as well on www.channelafrica.co.za. Today on the program, we'll be looking at African countries calling for the reformation of the United Nations Security Council. We know that recently during his visit in South Africa, Zimbabwe President Robert Mugabe lamented the lack of transformation in the United Nations Security Council in terms of representation of African countries. But before we get into that topic, let's get our news update and Musa is standing by. In the headlines, authorities in the Libyan capital vowed to boost security after twin attacks on foreign embassies. Nigeria marks the first anniversary of Boko Haram's abduction of 219 schoolgirls and former African heads of state discuss ways to create an AIDS-free generation. A very good morning to you. Authorities in the Libyan capital Tripoli have vowed to boost security after twin attacks on foreign embassies. The pledge comes as political party leaders and activists are gathered in the Algerian capital, Algiers, for a new round of UN-mediated peace talks that's aimed at reaching an accord to end the chaos and violence at home. Libya's controversial army chief Khalifa Haftar visited Jordan, where King Abdullah pledged Amman's support in his fight against Islamist terrorists in the east of the country. Foreign ministers from Britain, France, Germany, Italy, Spain and the United States jointly called on Libya's rival factions to agree on an unconditional ceasefire at the talks. Nigeria today marks the first anniversary of Boko Haram's abduction of 219 schoolgirls from the northeastern town of Chibok. The commemoration and renewed calls for their release comes as Amnesty International says the militants kidnapped at least 2,000 women and girls since the beginning of last year. Prayers, candlelit vigils and marches have been held or are planned around the world to mark the anniversary. 
South Africa's Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa says more focus will be placed on testing for TB as people that are infected with HIV AIDS are more prone to the disease. Ramaphosa is meeting with champions for an AIDS-free generation comprising former African heads of state in Johannesburg. He says there have been significant strides in the fight against AIDS. Currently, 2.8 million people are on antiretroviral treatment. South Africa's Home Affairs Minister Milusi Gigaba and the Zulu King Goodwill Zenitini, together with the KwaZulu-Natal province's officials, will meet diplomats from African states in the coastal city of Durban today to discuss the wave of attacks on foreign nationals in the province. Malawi and Somalia are among the countries that have expressed concern about the plight of their nationals. Zanele Butalezi reports. Gigaba and the Vitulu are expected to assure the diplomats that the government is dealing with a situation of attacks on foreign nationals which seems to continue in the province of KwaZulu-Natal, threatening more lives and stability. At least five people have been killed since the violence started and thousands others have been displaced from their places of residence in various areas in the Etigwini municipality. Businesses owned by foreign nationals have also been destroyed and looted. And finally, lasting peace and sustainable development cannot be fully realized without respect for human rights and the rule of law. Head of the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime, Yoweri Fodov, was speaking at an event at the 13th Crime Congress on Crime Prevention and Criminal Justice. It's organized every five years to bring together policymakers and work, working to prevent crime. Together, we can advance justice and uphold human dignity and confront the criminals who undermine the rule of law and sustainable development. UNODC is committed to be a part of UN system efforts to deliver on this promise. Recapping the top stories, authorities in the Libyan capital vowed to boost security after twin attacks on foreign embassies. Nigeria marks the first anniversary of Boko Haram's abduction of 219 school girls and former African heads of state discuss ways to create an AIDS-free generation. Well, thank you very much, Anne Musa, for that news update. And as we mentioned when we started the program today, we're looking at the topic of the reformation of the United Nations Security Council. For many years, calls to include one of the 54 African states in the United Nations Security Council have been made. And now it's come back to the forefront. Last week, Zimbabwe President Robert Mugabe has lamented once again the lack of transformation of the United Nations Security Council. Mugabe, who's also the African Union and the SADC chair was speaking after private talks with President Jacob Zuma during his visit in South Africa. He says while the continent continues to propose changes to the veto system, there's still resistance from some of the permanent members. We don't think we're getting a fair deal at the United Nations. No. Just the five countries there who are permanent members wield the control of the entire system because the Security Council has greater control, greater power than the General Assembly, which we all attend. 
but we are not all in the Security Council. We can regionally have two members, two members who alternate uh, every, is it every two or three years, and we choose others. But uh, the five say they are permanent members, and if one of them says no to any resolution, that resolution doesn't pass. So, United States, France, Britain, China, and Russia. And that's why the system isn't functioning. We have uh, tried to formulate amendments to the Charter, especially Security Council as Africa, but no America, Britain, and France will stand against it against them. Only China and Russia are forthcoming and support us. We were just wondering, must we go on and on presenting resolutions that are rejected and it becomes a circus? Are we that foolish? Aren't we strong enough? And it's not Africa alone. It's the, the third world, as we call ourselves in the developing world. Well, that was the voice of uh, the President of Zimbabwe, Robert Mugabe, during the visit in South Africa, and that was after private talks with South Africa's President, Jacob Zuma. Now, to look at uh, the theme that he highlighted in that particular clip, we'll be speaking today with Dr. Yali Siki, uh, Silius, rather, Dr. Yaki Silius, who is the Executive Director of the Institute for Security Studies. Also joining us is Mr. Oshubeng Maseng, who's a lecturer at the University of the Northwest. We also have Candice Moore, a senior researcher at the African Center for the Constructive Resolution of Disputes, also known as Accord. Now, I want to start with you, Dr. Yaki Silias, in terms of uh, uh, the significance of the United Nations Security Council. How significant is it, especially when it comes to issues of uh, international affairs? Um, Thank you for having me on your show. I think the UN Security Council is very important. It is particularly important for for Africa and and for the Middle East, the two most uh, conflict-prone regions globally. Um, The UN Security Council, in terms of the UN Charter, is responsible for international peace and security. And it has both executive and sometimes legislative functions that it is uh, adopted. So um, it represents the the pinnacle of global security governance, and um, it authorizes peace missions. It is responsible for coordination of peacemaking across the continent, and um, it really coordinates the global response. Uh, to to global challenges. So it is uh, the UN Security Council, although it is struggling with legitimacy and effectiveness and um, and is often bypassed and has got many problems. Mm. Uh, it needs to be uh, to be made workable for the future because it it uh, is the key to uh, a global response uh, to global security issues, including new developments like transnational threats such as um, terrorism and organised. Cr- organized crime and the like. So uh, important for, for, for Africa and for the Middle East, but also for, for other regions, and important globally in an increasingly connected and uh, uh, hot, flat, and crowded world.
Now, moving on to you, Candice, uh, looking at the Security Council, as uh, uh, highlighted by uh, President Robert Mugabe in that audio, uh, it seems to have a lot of power. It has the power to veto any substantive resolution. This allows a permanent member to block adoption of a resolution, but not to prevent or end debate. How powerful is that? I'm sure it is, and excluding all the other countries as well. Well, um, basically, obviously, as... as uh Dr. Suyas had pointed out, the Security Council is the primary um, instrument which we have uh, globally for resolving or addressing international peace and security issues. So um, this obviously wields a lot of power. It means that where the five permanent members who who hold the veto power, uh, which I think is what you're referring to, where where they uh, are not in agreement with a resolution, they have the power to see to it that such a resolution is not passed. And that effectively means that um, they can prevent interference in their spheres of influence, which many of them still have, um, even many years after the end of the Cold War. So we know that um, the deadlock between the United States and the USSR during the Cold War, for example, prevented um, the United uh, Nations from undertaking many peace operations, and these um, increased exponentially after um, the end of the Cold War. So it does wield a lot of power in terms of what is able to be done legitimately um, on the international stage in terms of maintaining international peace and security. And by this I mean intervening in states or um, sending in peacekeepers to come between warring parties and so on. So there's enormous, an enormous amount of power wielded by the veto wheel, uh, by those powers who hold the veto, the five permanent members of the, of the UN Security Council. Well, coming to you, Mr. Oshuping uh, Masing, uh, as we highlighted, the Security Council's permanent members are five of them, China, France, Russia, and the United States and the United Kingdom. How did the United Nations reach the conclusions of these countries to be permanent members? How did they reach that particular point? They said, hey, these are the five permanent members. Uh, fraternal salutations to everyone. Uh, the issue of reaching the conclusion of having five permanent members of, of the United Nations Security Council with veto power was actually based on the, the victors of, of the World War II. As you do remember that all these five permanent members, uh, which are which are which are uh, veto holding uh, veto holding uh, Security Council members, were actually considered victors of of, of of the World War II. Now, as a result of that, a, a little a little bit prior to that, all all these countries had actually invested massively, both financially and in terms of technology, in developing uh, uh, weapons that that were actually used uh, throughout throughout uh, the World War II. Now, as a result of that, post the World War II, there had to be reorganization of how now the global uh, the global stage will be will be configured. Now, as a result of that, that decision was reached because based on on the victors. Well, I want to come back to you, uh, Dr. Yakisilias, looking at that particular conclusion, looking at how the world has changed. We have different dynamics now. We are really affected by different issues such as globalization. We see that Africa is also uh, coming up in terms of its uh, influence in the economy. Uh, Is the uh, United Nations Security Council still relevant today? There's a lot of uh, debate around that, around its relevance in terms of its membership. Um, the UN Security Council is certainly still relevant. It is still quite effective, and it is hugely important. 
but the world has changed since 1945. When the UN Security Council was established in 1945, as uh, um, uh, Mr. Masing indicated, uh, there were 51 countries that established it. That's 70 years ago. And now there are 193 members uh, of the uh, UN Security Council, and, there are, uh, and, and the global population has expanded threefold. Um, so the UN Security Council, particularly the P5 membership, represents the past. And for a global interconnected world, we need a different Security Council. So at the Institute for Security Studies, we've launched a, a, a consultation that we hope we will build civil society um, strength to look at uh, a future elected UN Security Council. We call this elect the council. And, um, and this is in response to, to this challenge of we need a Security Council that is more representative, more legitimate, in other words, and that is also continues to be effective uh, and efficient in how it responds to global challenges. Your, your thoughts there, Candice, on that call for that particular change and also just seeing where we are as a, as a world and also as a continent in terms of seeing that uh, uh, council changing? Well, um, I haven't, I must uh, admit that I've not read the details of the concept note, but I, I think it's a, it's a laudable um, initiative which has been launched by the ISS um, and the, the idea of, 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 of seeking to elect the members of the Security Council. Um, we know that there have been a number of initiatives um, since the call started to be made for the reform of the Security Council at least 10 years ago. Um, and, well, they've been made uh, further back in history, but um, in 2005 these calls really coalesced. Um, and so, you know, a number of, um, of formulae have been proposed for changing um, the membership of the Security Council. And so without having looked at the details, yes, I would think that if um, there is a, a, a good and representative electorate, in other words, stemming from the United Nations General Assembly, I'm sure Dr. Uh, Dr. Soyez can tell us more about the initiative, but um, if, if, if indeed you know, the, those who are voting for the members are, are in good standing in the United Nations General Assembly, then why not? Yes, um, I think that would be a good way of, of, of changing the membership of the UN. Um, of course, that would require a change to the Charter of the United Nations, which that would only be agreed upon by um, the P5, the permanent five members. Uh, with their assent or with their approval and with their um, with their agreement. So if that can be worked around, then obviously I think that would be um, something around which many, many civil society organizations could um, coalesce and, and many would support. And of course, many states um, would also um, potentially support such an initiative. But yeah, I think if, if, Prof, uh, if Dr. Soliev can tell us more about the initiative. Definitely, we'll come back to that particular initiative, but I need to uh, come back to that break. And when we come back, I'll explore with uh, Mr. Oshupeng Masing about really about how the world has changed. And we heard Dr. Akisilias highlighting some of the changes and the dynamics that have changed in terms of uh, world and international relations. You are listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. You're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Well, today we're 
looking at uh, the call to reform the United Nations Security Council. As Dr. Yaki Silias highlighted from a grassroots level, uh, there are attempts to see that particular change there. And uh, on the line, we are joined by Dr. Yaki Silias, the Executive Director of the United of the Institute for Security Studies, and we have Mr. Osupeng Masing, who is a lecturer at the University of the Northwest. Candice Moore joins us as a senior researcher at the African Center for the Constructive Resolution of Disputes. Let's take a quick break and we'll get back to our guests. Always missing your favorite Channel Africa radio shows? Well, now you don't have to. We have a free catch-up service that allows you to listen to Channel Africa radio content from your cell phone, computer or tablet at your convenience. Visit www.channelafrica.co.za and click on Programs for a list of your favorite shows. Select what you want to hear. Click on Listen and enjoy Channel Africa Radio. It's as easy as that. Channel Africa Radio, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa. Thank you for joining us. You're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Thank you for joining us as well on our website on www.channelafrica.co.za where you are streaming us live. Today we're looking at the call for the reformation of the United Nations Security Council. When we started the program, we heard a clip by Robert Mugabe, not a clip by, but a clip of uh, President Robert Mugabe of Zimbabwe lamenting and actually criticizing the lack of transformation in the United Nations Security Council. And we are exploring this particular topic, this particular hour. Dr. Oshipeng Masing, uh, let us know, just really you are highlighting some of that history and uh, really looking at where this particular issue of the United Nations Security Council started. But in terms of the changes, what are your views? Dr. Yaki Sile has highlighted some of the changes that we've seen over the years and where we are as a world. Your view where are we as a world and what are the main reasons that we should see a change in the council uh, we, we have not seen really a transformation uh, when, you, when it comes to global governance uh, more so because we are still having these five permanent members of, of the UN Security Council literally being in charge of, of all global issues that regard to peace and security now uh, specifically coming to, to regions like Africa uh, uh, I mean, it, it's practically unfair to actually have a 54-nation state that, that does not even have a single representation within the permanent members of the United Nations Security Council, only uh, uh, getting representation through rotational means that is not actually uh, important or significant within the council because most of the decisions that are taken in the council, they, they actually rely on veto power of, of these five permanent members. So even if certain African states or certain states that are actually representing other regions as non-permanent members in, in the UN body, uh, their representation is not of importance as well. Uh, veto power is the one that actually determines each and every decision that is to be taken by the Security Council. Now, we have not really, really went anywhere. What we have seen for, for the past years 
is a proposal from various regions. If, if uh, Dr. Silas and, 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 and uh, our colleague there can recall that, we, we currently have uh, the Ezulini consensus, which was a proposal by the African Union on modalities that, uh, that can be embarked on in order to, to reform the Security Council. But until this day, we have not really seen anything that uh, regards to transformation of the Council. So literally, we have not moved anywhere. And that particular issue highlighted there, Dr. Yakisilius, of the Ezulini consensus. Could you elaborate on that? What happened there? Yes, the Islamic consensus was adopted in March uh, 2005 by the Africa Union, and as the name indicates, it uh, comes from a meeting that was held in um, in, Swa- in Swaziland. Islamini was is the, represents the common African position on UN reform. It's broader than just uh, UN Security Council reform, and it builds on a, pr- a previous uh, consensus known as the Harare Declaration, and so on and so forth. At the time, in March 2005, <clears throat> there was a rush a whole host of efforts uh, to reform the, the, particularly the UN Security Council. Um, listeners may remember an initiative known as the G4, which was uh, Brazil, India, uh, Japan, um, and who was the fourth? I can't remember. Uh, Germany. Um, and the, the, the G4 tried and pushed very hard for um, a change that would have um, included them in the UN Security Council. Eventually, the G4 initiative didn't go anywhere, but this was at the time when Kofi Annan was still the Secretary General of the, of the United Nations, and there was really a big, big push, and Africa really held the swing vote uh, on whether this would happen or not. Now, the Islamic consensus, uh, which is a comprehensive document on UN Security Council reform, said that Africa wants two permanent seats with veto rights. So in addition to the five uh, existing P5 members, it wanted five semi-permanent seats. Uh, it wanted the African Union to be responsible for the selection of Africa's representatives. Um, and it wanted a total of additional uh, of 11 additional seats to the UN Security Council. would have taken it to a total composition of 26 instead of its current 15 members. Now, um, eventually this whole effort in 2005... Uh, the G4 initiative, the Zouini consensus, and so on and so forth, went nowhere. And we are still where we have been for the last three decades, in that every time somebody puts a proposal or member states puts a proposal on the table, other member states object to it. Um, and this is also the case in Africa. There is, uh, despite the Zouini consensus, there is considerable competition and rivalry within Africa on who would eventually represent uh, the African continent. And this is the situation everywhere. Um, Brazil is opposed by Argentina. Japan is opposed by uh, um, China. India is opposed by Pakistan. Germany is opposed by Italy and Spain. And so you can go ahead. And um, our approach is simply that um, these efforts are not going to get us anywhere and that it's time that civil society get together and uh, that we advocate for a a change and um, a more representative council. And we, we, uh, this is where this whole elect the council initiative uh, comes from because in our belief, member states have over the last 30 years proven uh, unable to come to a conclusion. And uh, Candice, just your views in terms of your research and your work that maybe you've looked at this particular issue, looking at some of the areas that were highlighted by both Dr. Yaki Silius and Mr. Shupeng Maseng in terms of where we've gone wrong in the past, your views about uh, where there's been that block in terms of moving forward. Well, um, the issue of UN 
Security Council reform is really um, a, a hotbed of a number of different complex um, questions. Uh, we have to think about national interests. Each of the P5 obviously has their own interests in terms of um, maintaining their superiority or their position of power within the United Nations Security Council, and they, they really do. They would uh, have nothing to gain from seeing an expansion of the UN Security Council. Um, there is also the question of how an, an expanded Security Council would work um, and what impact this would have on efficiency and transparency, for example. And then also the question of being able to back up that veto power with resources. Um, while Africa does command a substantial amount of the attention of the Security Council because of the many um, issues which we, which, we, um, which, we do, which we are engaged in on our continent, um, we, we also need to be able to um, lead in terms of how we, we resolve those issues, which indeed is one of the, the, the main um, topics on the agenda of the African Union and, and African, African solutions to African challenges. So um, basically, um, you know, there are a number of stumbling blocks, and it is not a, straight, um, a straightforward question, the reform of the United Nations Security Council. Mm. Um, the South Africa's International Relations Minister, Maite Nkwan Mashabane, highlighted in 2013 that that Africans have a clear position. And I think she was highlighting to that uh, Ozulwini consensus, uh, saying that uh, Africans are saying there will, be, there will be no change without the Africans. The 70% of the issues that go to the Security Council are about Africans. So it cannot continue to be without Africans themselves. That is the main question. Isn't it, uh, uh, Mr. Shubhengma, saying that hey, you're having discussions about the continent, but hey, the final decision is not really made by Africans themselves; it's made by foreign countries. Yeah, exactly as, as I, I had indicated earlier, that uh, we are we are sitting in, in a continent whereby, uh, let's say, a third quarter of of the UN Security Council issues are actually uh, African agenda based. Now, we, we have a situation whereby we cannot uh, necessarily claim that African countries are, are truly represented. Uh, and this is particularly based on the question of veto, that we, we have a lot of conflicts in Africa and so forth and so goes on with it. But now, the challenge is that uh, such conflicts are actually treated as, as a matter of national interest, uh, particularly on, in the eyes of, of, of those that are wielding uh, veto power. Because most, most of uh, the resolutions that uh, are taken by the UN Security Council, uh, if you would observe correctly, you tend to, to see that if there's any, any conflict in Africa whereby one of uh, the permanent members of the United Security Council has no interest, it, it, it becomes practically impossible for such a, a, a conflict-ridden area to be given attention by the United Nations Security Council. Hence, there's, there's a need for Africa to be included uh, in the United Nations Security Council on a permanent basis. So it's at least enough attention should be given to most conflict-driven places in the continent.
I mean, coming to you, Dr. Yakisilius, when you look at the continent, we do have a lot of security problems and issues, challenges, Boko Haram, we could highlight Al-Shabaab. Those are just uh, uh, the few issues of security that are really much on the spotlight when it comes to international affairs. In the past, looking at these particular issues that we're facing on the continent, has the Security Council been fair in how it deals with the continent, looking at these challenges? Well, um, the, the Security Council has certainly been very important. Um, and, um, you know, at the end of the day, it determines where, for example, peacekeepers are deployed and it arranges for the financial support and engagement. It provides the legitimacy, uh, uh, the legitimate cover, the legal cover for that, and it provides the resources. But uh, the world has changed in the last uh, 10, 20 years. Africa is today in the forefront of dealing with African challenges on the continent. When there are issues, uh, whether they are in Nigeria or Somalia, it's African diplomats and African soldiers and policemen and women who, who really are on the forefront. Um, but we, we need the Security Council. We need an effective and legitimate Security Council. And the, uh, the ISS has done quite a bit of work at looking at, at global conflict trends. And to us, it's very evident that the two regions that are globally the most uh, unstable and violent, uh, firstly the Middle East and secondly Africa, um, and these two regions in particular will need going forward a legitimate and effective UN Security Council. And, and legitimacy uh, means greater representation. We can't have a situation, as we have at the moment, where um, the P5 are also the so-called pen holders. That means that uh, France takes all the decisions with regard to former um, Francophone um, colonies in Africa, and the UK takes uh, all the decisions with regard to former British uh, colonies in Africa. This is untenable. Um, It is time that Africans um, within the Security Council uh, are represented and take responsibility uh, for dealing with uh, with African challenges, and this is just one of the of the issues that that I think confronts us in work, working towards a more a legitimate and a more effective UN Security Council. Candice, your views there in terms of that issue of uh, a conflict and terrorism on the continent. Okay, well, yes, I would I would largely agree with with Yaki Salias on that um, that we do need to have a strong Security Council. Um, there is always the risk of alienating those greater powers even if changes are forced upon the current UN Security Council. So, so there's a need to work carefully and, and to, to gain as much support as possible. To date, this has, of course, not been, um, this has not been very productive. We have not seen any um, support, really, for the, the reform of the UN um, coming from the P5, excepting for selective statements from for, um, supporting individual countries' bids like um, um, China um, giving some muted support to South Africa's bid, and um, and so on. But and, and France, of course, supporting Africa's uh, bid more generally. But um, I think that there will definitely need to be um, more global consensus on um, some of the kinds of issues which we are faced with in Africa. And um, but but yes, I think uh, when that's going to happen, I think is is, is an open question. We, we we have the 70th anniversary of the UN this year, and um, and we are basically at a stalemate with regard to reform of the UN Security Council. So um, it's not really um, the picture doesn't look very promising for that. But uh, but but it must still be remembered 
that we are not completely um, at the mercy of the P5. As the African Union, we do have many levels on which um, the, the AU cooperates with the United Nations system, and there is a lot of consultation that goes on and, and, so, uh, and so on. So while we may not have a representative on the Security Council, um, there, there are some positives in the sense that um, we, there are debates that, that, that do proceed on the nature of the relationship between regional organizations like the African Union and the, um, the, the United Nations itself. So we are trying to carve out for ourselves as the African Union um, a, a stronger position in terms of, of leading on, on solving African challenges or African problems. So um, I think it's, it's not all doom and gloom, but at the same time, um, you know, uh, the, 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 the initiative to reform the United Nations Security Council shouldn't, be, shouldn't, shouldn't rest, but we, there are other things which are ongoing on the continent all the time. Um, which, which are working to strengthen our relationship with um, the United Nations and to, and to work with the UN Security Council as well. The, the Security Council um, members do take um, visits um, on occasion to particular conflict zones, and so those representatives will go out, um, they'll come to Africa or go to the Middle East or wherever there is a flashpoint. Um, so they, um, you know, they, they are, there is that uh, work on the ground that goes on, um, unfortunately, yes, there, there is that um, power imbalance, which is encapsulated in the veto, but um, we mustn't allow that to overshadow all the work that does go on um, within the UN Security Council and indeed between the UN and the African Union. Well, we're going to take a short break, but uh, we are looking at the issue of uh, changing the United Nations Security Council to be more representative of African countries and the rest of uh, other non-aligned members. Hey, what is your views? We want to hear from you. So do send us your SMSs but on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. Do you think that uh, this is achievable, reforming the United Nations Security Security Council to represent us as a continent to have a representative there uh, in that particular council. Plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. The time right now is thirty seven minutes past eleven o'clock Central African time. We're going to continue this conversation. I want to come back to uh, Dr. Yaki Silias to find out what they're doing from a grassroots level to see this idea moved forward, and also to find out from uh, Mr. Oshupeng Masing if we are going to move forward what would need to be done by African states. Ebola beats. Remember, Ebola is not a death sentence. Get treatment sooner. This message is brought to you by Channel Africa and supplied by World Health Organization. Follow the discussion on Twitter using the hashtag BeatEbolaNow.
Well, you are listening to African Dialogue, a conversation we have with you every day from Monday to Thursday at least to look at the main issues that really affect us as Africans. And today we're looking at the issue of uh, reforming the United Nations Security Council to be more representative of the continent. And uh, today we have uh, Dr. Yaki Silias, the Executive Director of the Institute for Security Studies, and Mr. Shubeng Maseng, the lecturer at the University of the Northwest. Candice Moore is a senior researcher at the African Center for the Constructive Resolution of Disputes. Now, uh, Dr. Yaki Silius, you were talking about a process that you are embarking on with other members in the grassroots level in terms of moving this process along. You were highlighting uh, an idea called elect a, a council, a future council. Tell us really about this consultative uh, process. Um, thank you. We, um, there, there is a website uh, available that uh, provides the, the, the full detail. It's at uh, www.electthecouncil.org. And, and basically this is uh, a process that is in consultation mode at the moment. Um, and what we intend to work towards is to try and put together a global civil society initiative to advocate for countries to be elected <coughs> to represent regions on the UN Security Council on a proportional basis and therefore to do away with the system of permanent members and veto rights. Now, this is uh, quite a radical departure from the efforts that member states have been trying to, uh, to embark on. Um, and it is uh, something that tries to balance um, uh, the issue of legitimacy, which uh, means you need uh, to expand the Security Council, uh, with the issue of uh, effectiveness, which means you can't have too large uh, a Security Council, with the issue of power politics, because, uh, of course, um, none of the existing P5 members uh, would easily um, uh, step away from their power and their privilege, and they are sitting pretty. They Every time there's a... Um, an effort to, for reform of the Security Council, uh, they would say, well, we'll, we'll wait for the members to um, uh, uh, make their views known on this. And, of course, then the other member states all get involved in a tremendous battle about uh, who should be uh, additional permanent members and so on, and, and it goes nowhere. And, and our view is that uh, in a global interconnected world, there's much greater space for civil society engagement, and it's time that civil society bring their their views to this issue as well. And we are arguing that civil society work with their governments uh, to uh, advocate for a system of election uh, to countries, to the Security Council, so that countries stand and that they are elected. And we are proposing that there are uh, countries that are elected uh, for five years and countries that are elected for three years, um, and that those countries that are elected for five years could be re-elected in perpetuity. So uh, this is to provide a bit of space for global powers like the United States and China, two preeminent pre global powers at the moment, uh, to, um, to earn a, a position on the Security Council. Of course, this is a hugely ambitious undertaking, and one must have no illusions that um, uh, uh, this is not going to be easy. But if we can manage to um, bring... Uh, this idea of electoral representation um, to the debate around the UN Security Council, 
that would uh, that, that would already be a, a huge step forward. So we, at the moment, we've got a concept note that we've put out there for comment. We're trying to get people to engage uh, on the website, on this and elsewhere, and we are consulting. And uh, at some point we in the, in the next few weeks, we will bring out an amended concept note as we uh, consult with others and so on and so forth until we have what we believe is a a basis that caters to all the interests uh, as much as that is possible, and then we are going to try and build a, a, a global alliance to try and see if civil society can add uh, to this debate. And this is not going against the wishes of member states. This is trying to assist member states in in, in trying to move this debate forward. The debate has been stalled. Yeah, and yeah. I don't see it, it going anywhere. Mm. Uh, Dr. Shupeng was saying, in terms of uh, the issue that we're highlighting here, and I think it's very important to have civil society as part of this conversation and also practically doing something to alter the situation, but also member states, in terms of pushing this forward, I'm sure as African, uh, as an African community, we need to be firm, know which direction we want to take, and be specific on our uh, call. Uh, to move this forward, what would be needed from the African states, uh, Mr. Masing? Yeah, what, what is actually needed and the most fundamental thing for African states is unity. Because the, the challenge as, as it is where, where we stand now is that though we, we, we have this as a consensus that it's a common position for African states to ensure that there's a United Nations Security Council reform, the, the challenge is that as we stand, uh, African states are, are, are practically divided uh, in terms of uh, regional blocks. Obviously, you'd have uh, your ECOWAS member states having their own position with regards to who should actually ascend the position of uh, a seat in, in the United Nations Security Council should reform be realized. And again, we have, we have your SADC, we have your Maghrib, uh, which is North Africa and so forth. And again, we, we have these uh, former... Uh, francophone or uh, francophone countries, which obviously would have their own position. Now, what is fundamental, basically fundamental for African states is unity, because the lack of unity already is is, is having these these African states. I mean, pulling from four different directions in terms of regional uh, associations and so forth. Now, if only African states can unite and and come up with a common position that this is what we need to do as Africans, uh, 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 in fact, dealing away with, with, with the issue of uh, having regional economic communities positions. Now, uh, again, what, what, what I, I think that is giving a challenge to most African states is that we have some sort of co- cosmetic support, uh, uh, which is not really substantive from uh, countries like uh, your China, in your Russia, which are obviously members of BRICS together with South Africa, that they attach certain importance mm. to countries such as South Africa. Mm. Now, that on its own builds a rift between South Africa and other African states on how do we pull a way forward uh, with regards to the reform question. Mm. Now, the most important thing is unity amongst African states. And again, I think initiatives like 
that of the ISS under the leadership of Dr. Silas could also assist in trying to ensure that there's transformation on the global agenda. Mm. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I wanted to come back to you, Candice, but I have to wrap it up there. But I want to thank Dr. Yakisilius, the Executive Director of the Institute for Security Studies. I want to thank Mr. Oshubeng Moseng, the lecturer at the University of the Northwest. Candice Moore as well was joining us, the Senior Researcher at the African Center for the Constructive Resolution of Disputes. Thank you all for joining us on our program this hour. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Now we have Tabiso Luoku standing by to give us our economics update. Zambia's bowed to pressure from mining companies to review a punishing hike in mineral royalties that led investors to threaten to pull out of the copperish country. In a statement, President Spokesperson Amos Chanda says the changes to the mineral royalty tax regime have been approved. Details of the changes will be presented to Parliament for approval next week. South Africa's Department of Mineral Resources has confirmed that it's made an urgent application to, in court, for an interpretation of 26% black ownership requirement in the mining sector. This follows a recent review of the achievements of the mining charter. The department and the Chamber of Mines are in disagreement as to what the 26% entails. Spokesperson for the Minister of Mineral Resources, Mahrodi Muofe, says the matter is now in the hands of the court. We are basically approaching the court on an agent basis so that the court can assist in giving us the correct interpretation. Once the court gives us a correct interpretation of what that 26% actually entails, uh, Minister Ramakredi would want to move with speed to implement fully the essentials of what the mining charter dictates. Thousands of workers at South Africa's Mudupi Power Plant uh, Power Utility Eskom in uh, its building have uh, stayed away from the work again today. The Union National Union of Mine Workers says it still hopes the dispute can be resolved in time for work to resume tomorrow at the plant in Nimbobo Province. About 1,700 contract workers at Mudupi were fired for destroying property during a one-day strike over living conditions and higher pay. South Africa's rand is steady against the dollar today, with a firmer greenback and electricity shortages in Africa's most advanced economy still key headwinds for the local unit. The rand was trading at 0.11%, softer earlier this month, at 12.15 to the dollar, compared with its closing level yesterday. The dollar has bust in growing likelihood of a U.S. rate increase, which would be first in a nearly decade. Financial indicators at this hour, the U.S. dollar trades at 12.07 South African rands, 9.81 Botswana Pula, 7.21 in Zambia, 0.68 British pound, 9.4 euro, gold, 1.200 dollars, platinum, 1.153 dollars an ounce, brand crude, 5.8 dollars, 4.5 cents a barrel. Economic update. Well, it's time now for us to move on. We have Tami Tuza to give us our sports news.
Thanks for joining us. Good afternoon once again. Let's start with soccer. News that the 2015 edition of the Kosafa Senior Challenge Cup has recently received a timely boost of two major sponsorship should have heralded a new hope for teams such as Zimbabwe, whose only hope for football gains can only come from the regional tournament. Kosafa President Suketu Patel says that a bigger and more rewarding Kosafa Cup could be the Zimbabwe's only source of pride. A new sponsorship agreement with Castle Lager will see Africa's beer once again take on the role of a brand partner for the Kosafa Men's Senior Competition and renew ties with Southern African biggest football tournament. Coming on board for the first time will be Australian Energy Drink Powerhouse, which will be a sponsor for all Kosafa events in 2015 as they reiterate their commitment to football on the continent. They also sponsored the African Nations Championship in 2014 in South Africa. In local football, Pittsburgh Vets will hope to return to their winning ways when they host Orlando Pirates in the Alpsa Premiership at the Pittsburgh Stadium tonight at half past seven Central African time. Vets are placed fourth on the log table, trailing Pirates by three points with 41 points from 24 matches. In their previous two matches, they drew one all against Bulugwane City away and lost by 2-1 in the Netbank Cup to Ajax Cape Town last Friday. Looking at the rival camp, Pirates are in the third place and have 44 points from 25 league matches and will be hoping to maintain their unbeaten. 10 records. And on Cricket South Africa's Alan Donald today stepped down from his role as bowling coach of the Proteus. Cricket South Africa CSA Chief Executive Heron Lockhart has thanked and paid tribute to Donald for his valuable guidance and contribution made to the national players over the past four years. Donald was appointed in June 2011 as part of Gary Kirsten's management team and continued in the role under Russell Domingo from August 2013. The 48-year-old Donald says that it's the right time to move on and thank the players, coaches and Cricket South Africa for the their support over the years. Proteus head coach Domingo thanked Alan Donald for his contribution in the Proteus environment. And South Africa's Sunlam women's SA stroke play in golf will take place from the 19th until the 21st of April at Glendowana Golf Club. Michael Fitzmas reports. It's one of South Africa's most historic golf clubs and top-ranked women's amateur Ivana Samu wants to make some history of her own when she tees it up in the Sunlum South African Amateur Stroke Play Championship starting at Glendawa Golf Club on Sunday. As the reigning Sunlum SA Women's Amateur Champion, Samu would clearly love to add the Stroke Play title as well and especially on a golf course such as Glendower, which has hosted the South African Open on numerous occasions and been the scene of triumph for some of the game's greats, from Bobby Locke to Vijay Singh. It's a great golf course, and I mean, it's, it's almost like a, a privilege playing on that golf course. I mean, it's got great history, and I'd like to make some history as well. And now in swimming, South African distance swimmer Miles Brown has qualified for the winner long for the FINA World Long Course Championships in emphatic fashion with a new national record in the 400 meter freestyle in Devon yesterday. Brown and Olympic gold medalist Cameron van der Beek were the first swimmers to book their places for the gold showpiece on the first day of the 2015 South African National Championships at the Kings Park Swimming Pool Complex. Finally, John Eisner has defended fellow American Steve Johnson 646 Love to win his first career match at the Monte Carlo Masters yesterday. Catherine Whitaker has more on the matches yesterday. With the top eight seeds all receiving a first-round bye here in Monte Carlo, it's left to the best of the rest to fight it out for their place in round two of this first Clay Court Masters 1000 event of the season. On a sun-drenched day at the Monte Carlo Country Club, the centre court saw a narrow three-set victory for Ukrainian Alexander Dolgopolov over rising ATP World Tour star Borna Choric. 
That was followed by a win for Italian crowd favourite Fabio Fognini. He beat Poland's Jerzy Janowicz in two straight sets. Elsewhere, world number 52 Andreas Heider-Maurer heaped yet more misery on a struggling Ernest Gulbis, beating him 6-1, 6-love. And John Isner wrapped up proceedings with a straight sets victory over fellow American Steve Johnson. Looking ahead to Tuesday, and it's David Ferrer, Joe Wilfred Songa, Gail Monfils and world number one Novak Djokovic that head the line-up on the centre court. That's the end of our sport and back to Benjamin Moshatama. Well, that's how we wrap it up. Remember, we want to hear your views. Do you think that we can reform the United Nations Security Council to be more representative of our beautiful continent? Let us know your thoughts. SMS us on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. That's plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. Remember, African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at eleven hundred hours Central African time. Remember, you can interact with us via Facebook. We've got a Facebook page titled Channel Africa, or tweet us at Channel Africa One or you can actually tweet us at African Dialogue. We've got an African Dialogue page there on Twitter, so go follow us there. We'd appreciate. But hey, we're going to end the program on a very much upbeat uh, tone with Josie, South Africa's hip-hop band, and this one is beautifully titled Motherland. Oh, come on, yeah.